I'm so excited to, to wrap this series up today with, I believe, a word from God that's going to speak to each one of us. And um, it is so interesting to me when, when you watch that video, there's a little word there that, that just flashes on the screen at one point of time that says, does it seem impossible? And over the year, when, when I started at the gym, there was so much that seemed impossible to me there. There was, there's a specific pull-up that they call a keeping pull-up that I couldn't even get close to it. But then I, I literally did what we've spoken about in the last couple of weeks. So you, we, we talked about being persistent. We talked about not giving up. And we talked about doing the little things, so practicing the little moves and everything. And then finally I got to a point where what seemed impossible was not impossible anymore. And suddenly I could do the things that I thought I would never be able to do. But what we're going to be talking about today is not that part. Because we heard in the first week, let's have high expectations for our faith. Let's trust God to do something big. We heard in the second week that God has already given you everything you need in order to do what he wants you to do. We just need to trust God with it and he will multiply. In the third week, we spoke about if we want to position ourselves for what God wants to do, we also need to do something. That's we need to be faithful in the little things. And then last week, we spoke about not stopping. Even though you don't always see the results immediately what you want, don't stop. But today, we're going to be talking about something a little different. And this is a tough one to talk about. Our topic today is go big, even when it seems impossible. And I talked about something at the gym that seemed impossible to me. But let's be honest, if I could do for a couple of months a certain exercise, and then finally I could do what seemed impossible, it was never impossible, was it? It just seemed impossible, but it wasn't impossible. But today what I want to talk about is the things in life that really seems impossible. The things in life that seem so hopeless that you think there's no way out for you, even if you're persistent in your faith, even if you trust God, you've tried and still nothing is working out. So I'm talking about the more and more I speak to people, I kind of felt like there was this little highlight a couple of years ago. But the more and more I speak to people, everyone wants to immigrate. Everyone has lost hope. So many people, not everyone, has lost hope in South Africa. And when people start talking about South Africa and they talk about the future of their children and salaries and where the healthcare system is going, everything, people are like, we have to get out of here because there's no hope left. When people start talking about their safety, about their families, when people start talking about marriages and they're like, a marriage is falling apart, we don't want to talk to anyone, but this is not working out, I don't know what to do about it. When people start talking about work, the difficult people at work, hard situations, long hours, when people talk about their anxiety, their stress, depression, people talk about those kind of topics as if there is no light at the end of the tunnel. It can keep a conversation about around a bride going till one o'clock in the morning, right, With, without, without end. But today, this is what I want to talk to you about, is go big, even when it seems impossible, even when you believe there is no hope, there's no way out, you're surrounded by impossibility, you're surrounded by things that are falling apart, you're surrounded by everything that could go wrong. How can we still go big in our faith? How can we still trust God? How can we still expect amazing things from God in those situations? And um, we'll be reading from two... 2 Kings 6, verse 8 today. You don't have to put it on the screen here, Jonathan. I'm first going to give a bit of background. 2 Kings 6. You can go and read the whole story. We're not going to read verse 8 to 23 this morning. Um, we're going to read a smaller part of it. But I quickly want to tell you what's going on. So we've been reading about the life of the prophet Elisha. So Elisha, <clears throat> amazing thing happened. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we read about this man called Naaman that had leprosy and Elisha healed him? He was the commander of the army for the king of Aram. And they were enemies of Israel. 
So now when we get to chapter 6, a chapter later, this king of Aram is trying to attack Israel the whole time. When you start reading from verse 8, you see like this king is sending in troops. But every time something happens, every time he sets up camp, every time he tries to attack Israel, the Israelites are there waiting for them. And this king gets frustrated. He's like, we've got a spy in our midst. We've got someone who's leaking information to the Israelites because it's impossible for them to just show up. Every time, wherever I send my troops, they're just there waiting for me. And all of his, his people are like, we're not spies. There's a man, Elisha in Israel, and they literally say this. He will tell you, I can't even remember what it says. He will tell you what's going on in your bedroom or something like that. And so they are saying, like, this Elisha knows everything that's going on, but they don't know how. Like, is he fortune teller or whatever? Because they don't believe in God, right? So, but they're like, there's this man, and he knows everything about you. So he tells the king where your troops will be. So this guy finally decides, like, we have to do something about Elijah because we can't continue. This is not a war. Like, I keep losing no matter what I do because Elijah is always one step ahead. So today we're going to read 2 Kings 6. From verse 13 to verse 18. So this king got everyone together and now we're getting to his order. He says, go and find out where he is. Go and find out where Elisha is. So I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. And then he sent, hear this. The king sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. Strong force, not, not one or two people. They went by night, they surrounded the city, and then when the servant of Elijah, the man of God, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, he said, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this enemy with blindness. So he struck him with blindness as Elisha had asked. And we're just going to read till there. You can go and read the rest of the story. It's actually quite amazing what God does in the story. Um, After they've been struck with blindness, Elisha actually leads them to the king of Israel. He's like, should we kill all of them? And he's like, no, give them food and send them back. And we're going to talk a little bit about what happened um, later on. But guys, this is such a beautiful story to me. About this king who's so frustrated, the enemy of the man of God, the enemy of Israel. And he decides to send the force to the place where it would hurt Israel the most. Where would an attack hurt them the most? Not if you take out a hundred or a thousand of their soldiers. It would hurt them the most if Elisha is taken out because Elisha was giving the Israelites information the whole time. He was literally helping them to win. So the king goes after what is seemingly a little thing, but that little thing would hurt Israel the most. And as I read the story, I realized this. Before we even start with our topic today, I want you to know this. We have a real enemy, the devil, and he will always go after you at the spots that hurt the most. He's not going to do something to you that doesn't hurt. Because if you take out five, five of the soldiers of Israel, what are they going to do? They're just going to replace him with five more. They're just going to continue the war. But take Elisha out, and Israel is on a downhill, on a downhill road they're going to lose. The enemy will always go after you at those spots where it will hurt you the most. 
I think it's not by chance that we live in one of the countries in the world with the highest amount of kids that grow up with absent fathers. We live in one of the countries in the world with the highest amount of orphans, percentage-wise, to the ratio of people in our country. Do you know why? Because the backbone of a country, of any civilization, is what? Families. Take the family out and everything falls apart. So don't be surprised if the enemy comes after your marriage. Don't be surprised if the enemy comes after your children. Don't be surprised if he comes after your faith. He will always go after the things that hurt you most. Because he wants uh, to fill us with fear. This is what the king did. He's like, okay, we know where Elisha is. So what, what, what would the best approach be? You know what I would do? I would send one or two spies. I would send them into this town. They don't even know we're there. Get Elijah, put him in a bag, and carry him back out. That easy. Like, no bloodshed. He didn't lose any men. Easy. Why does he send? He specifically say, let's send a strong force. Why does he have to send a strong force for one man? Do you know why? Because it was a fear attack. He wanted to intimidate Israel. He wanted to intimidate Elisha. He wanted the people to live in fear. And that is the reality of life. The devil will attack in the places where it hurt most so that he can fill you with fear. Why? Because fear is a tactic used by the enemy to paralyze you. He wants you to live with fear every day. He wants you when you, when you look at the situation in South Africa to be filled with fear. We had in, last week a, a random dude that, in, in our garden that I just saw like running out and I kind of went after him. Yesterday, Yolanda had like this weird thing on the promenade where, where um, she and a friend was like, we think it was like a pro, uh, almost a, a robbery of, of their cell phones and stuff. And then when you look at those situations and, and it, uh, now you start living in fear because now you're like, are we safe? Is there still hope? Will my children have a, have a, a school to go to? Will they one day find a job? What the enemy loves to do is he wants to fill you with fear to paralyze you. Things that keep us up are often the things birthed in fear. You might face an actual difficult situation at work and you will process and you'll have a plan and you will set that out and you will still go to bed well. The things that keep you up at night are the things that fill you with fear. Whether it is a reality or not, it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, this servant looked out, he got up the morning, he went to the, to the basin to brush his teeth, and he got, he got his electric toothbrush out, and he started brushing the teeth. He walked outside to grab a cup of, of coffee from, um, from his local bootlegger. And when he, when he got outside, he saw this army surrounding the city. And he says, what shall we do? That is a cry of desperation. That is not like, hey, Elijah, did you see the army outside? You know, what is, what, what, what's God going to do today? How's God going to take care of this? He walks in. He's filled with fear. He's filled with anxiety. And he's like, what shall we do? That's a cry of desperation because of what he saw. And maybe you have cries of desperation like that in your life. What shall I do about my marriage? What shall I do about the situation at work? About the person that keeps giving me grief? What shall I do about the fact that I've been working and, and there's been no increase in the last couple of years? What shall I do about the fact that there's so much corruption and so much crime and stuff going on all around us? What shall we do? That cry, what shall we do, is, like the, is a cry that says there's no way out. And the enemy loves us to be at that spot where fear paralyzes us. Do you know why? Because at the end of the day, how we see things in life, not what we see. How we see things in life are filtered through our beliefs, through our fears, and through our life experiences. 
going to say that again. Everything you see, you see in a specific way. And the way you see it is determined by your beliefs, by your fears, and by your life experiences. Perception is everything. Two people will look at a glass of water or, or this bottle of water. For one, it's a bottle half, half full. For the other one, it's a bottle half empty. Perception is everything. And at the end of the day, when Elisha looked at his servant and he saw him looking at this army and he's freaking out, he's, in anxiety, he's going into an anxiety attack, Elisha basically tells him that he's got an eyes-closed perspective or an eyes-closed syndrome. What, what does he mean by that? When he prayed for open eyes, and this is what I basically see. Yolandi still does this when we watch an action movie. When you watch an action movie and it gets really bad, what, what do parents always tell the kids to do? Cover your ears and close your eyes. Right? Yolandi still does that. When it gets like really heated, she's like, I'm not looking. I have to tell her when she can look. But you know what happens when we don't look, when our eyes are closed? It means that we miss the storyline. We miss what's going on. We miss where the hero actually finally makes the win. And, and we, we get stuck in this perception that there's a crisis going on and that we're losing. It makes us miss the big picture. The servant view everything from one perspective, from a perspective of fear. Elijah viewed it differently. And what I want you to understand today is that the enemy will do everything he can to fill you with fear because that will paralyze you. And at the end of the day, fear will give you a certain perspective, an eyes closed perspective where you will look at everything as if, there's, as if it's black, as, as if there's no future ahead. This is where the story ends because I'm closing my eyes. But this is the problem with the perspective. When our, the way we see the world is determined by our fears, this is what you should know. Your perspective will become your reality. Your perspective will become your reality. What's the situation? Was it the only reality? What's the fact that they were surrounded by an army and that they couldn't get out and that there was no escape and that everyone was going to die and that women was going to be raped and, and walls are going to be broken down and, and people are going to be killed and Elijah is going to be taken to this king and be tortured for everything he knows. Was that the only reality? No. But that is what happens when we have a perspective of fear. We look at something and then we start catastrophizing, right? We start adding on these layers of how bad things actually are. And at the end of the day, that perspective becomes our reality. All that this man could see was that they were surrounded and that there was no way out. When he said, like, no, but, but that's my perspective. What does that have to do with my reality? Reality was that he was surrounded. And we respond to what we think is real. At that moment, he thought the only reality was that they were surrounded. So what's the only thing you can do when you're surrounded by an army? You don't have a weapon. You can't do anything. Surrender. This man almost surrendered before the battle began. He almost surrendered to a war that never happened. Because he had a fear perspective, that perspective told him that he can't win. So he almost surrendered to something that was never a reality. Guys, I don't want us to live with no hope. I don't want us to be controlled in South Africa by so much fear, by this fear perspective, by eyes closed perspective, that we believe there's no more hope left. I don't want you to look at your marriage after you've struggled a while and believe there's no more hope because you believe you're so surrounded that there's no exit. I don't want you to look at your children and believe 
that there's no future for them, believe that they're not going to grow up and do something with their lives, because at this point in time, it seems like you're surrounded. I don't want you to look at the country and believe that it's the end of it because there's a bit of corruption and there's some crime and stuff. Don't. Get to the point where your fear perspective becomes your only perspective and makes you surrender to a reality that wasn't even real. That's a good line. I'm going to say it again. Don't get to a point where your fear perspective becomes your only perspective and at the end of the day you surrender to a reality that's not even real. Our perspective becomes our reality. This man's reality almost bent because of his perspective that he's going to lose. But that was not God's plan. If you're in a situation today, and no matter what the challenges you might face in your life that seems impossible, whether it's a situation in South Africa, whether it's a situation in your family, at your workplace, whether you're dealing with illness, with depression, with anxiety, whether you're dealing with bondage in your life or with sin, whatever it might be, what can we do to break free from a fear perspective and to put some other filters on? Elizabeth Elliot said this. She said, fear arises. When we imagine that everything depends on us. Fear arises when we imagine everything depends on us. When this, when this servant of Elijah walked out, out of, out of the city, and he looked around, he saw an army, and, and his, his reaction was, what shall we do about it? See, I believe this was the man who saw Elijah do amazing miracles in, with the power of God. He saw the prophecies that Elijah gave that made the king of Israel go to the right spots to prevent the Arameans from invading Israel. He literally saw God intervening in this war like every now and again. And suddenly he's at the spot where he's like, his first reaction is not, what will God do about it? His first reaction is, what shall we do about it? Elijah, you and I, are we going to pick up swords? Are we going to surrender? What are we going to do about it? You see, I believe that the fear perspective doesn't necessarily come from an actual problem. It comes from a heart, deeper heart condition. We're often filled with fear. Is there crazy stuff going on around us? Yes, there are. There's always been crazy stuff going on in the world. Is your marriage maybe in a rocky place? Yes, it is. But guess what? A marriage takes work. It doesn't just work. Are you struggling with an addiction in your life? You might be, but there is an end to that. You can break free from that because Jesus already died for you so that you can live in freedom. At the end of the day, the fear perspective that we put on when we look at the world that fills us with so much fear, it is not necessarily the reality that creates that. It is a deeper heart condition that fills you with so much fear. Servants saw what God could do Yet, he said, what can we do about it? Why? There's a saying that goes like this, and it's about forgetfulness. But I think it it means so much more. It's also about our spiritual lives. That says, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And I believe often we put God out of sight, so then he's not in our mind anymore. So, So this fear perspective arises from a place where I don't see God. Where I believe, as as Elizabeth Elliot said, It comes from a place where I imagine, where I think that everything depends on me. It depends on me to conquer this army. It depends on me to break free from sin. Listen, if you could break free from sin on your own, Jesus wasn't necessary. The cross wasn't necessary. You can't, I can't, no one was ever able to do it. 
if, if a better president or, a, or, a, or better police services or whatever are going to save us from the crisis we're facing in South Africa, it would have already happened. If your marriage, if you can just flick a switch and your marriage is fine again, you would have already done it. But as long as you believe that it depends on you, you will live with a fear perspective and everything will seem dark to you. And at the end of the day, it will become your reality where you surrender to the enemy's plan for your marriage, where you surrender to the enemy's plan for your life, where you surrender to his plan for the country, where you surrender to everything that he has planned for you. You see, at the end of the day, he made a mistake. He said, what shall we do about it? It's not what shall we do about it, it's what shall God do about it? That was the thing. That when fear controls us, we fail to see God. As long as you have the perspective, the glasses, the filter of fear in your life, you will fail to see God. And what is so beautiful to me is what seemed like the end to the servant was only the beginning for God. It's like, this is the end of us. We're going to die. Like, there's no way out for me out of this crisis. But for God, it was just the beginning. He still had this amazing miracle ahead. This story, do you think God was caught off guard by the army that surrounded the city? Because didn't God, every time they send the army, didn't he prepare the Israelites beforehand to, to stop them? So why didn't God stop them this time? Was God caught off guard? Was God like, oh, shucks, I didn't know there's army around the city. Like, what's going on? God wasn't caught off guard. You know how I know it? Because Elisha is like, listen, those with us are more than they. And the servant's like, what are you talking about? Elijah's like, God already prepared an army before they arrived. The army was there. They were waiting for them. You're just not seeing the army because you're looking with a fear perspective. God already has a plan in place for your life. God already has a purpose in place for your life. God already made a way for you to break free from any, everything that's holding you back by the cross of Jesus Christ. And he's like, you're just missing it because you're looking at life through the filters of fear. God was never God of God, and Elijah knew this. So Elijah said a word we all hate when we feel like it's the end. He said, don't worry. Like, don't you hate it when someone tells you, don't worry, and you're like, no, I've got a reason to worry. Hate it. Send someone to you and tell them, don't worry. You won't see hope. Don't see God. Won't see hope if you don't see God. The servant didn't see hope. He saw his end because he didn't see God. Because he saw fear. Can you imagine how we would respond? Whatever situation you might be facing, when you open your eyes and you realize that you're not alone and that God already has a plan in place to save you from whatever you're facing, how would that servant have responded? If he walked out of there that morning, his eyes were open, he saw the arm and he's like, oh, the chariots of fire are behind them. He would have probably waved to them. He's like, what's up, guys? He would have probably been so chill out. The situation is not as desperate as it seems. And you might be this morning like, Lou, you don't know what's going on in my life. I've had so many challenges in my life as well. There's good times, there's bad times. But whatever you're facing, it's not as desperate as it seems. God is there with you. And if you're this morning, but why can't I see him in this darkness? Why can't I see him when I feel so surrounded, when I feel like everything is pushing against me? 
I want to tell you because the problem is you have a certain perspective. And sometimes we need someone to pull us out of that fear perspective and say, open your eyes and see what's going on. You see, you could have told that servant whatever you wanted to tell him, but all he could see were these filters of fear with his closed eye syndrome was an army that was going to kill them all. That's all he could see. But there was a man named Elijah that said, I'm going to pray for God to open his eyes. I'm going to pull him out of this fear perspective and I'm going to help him to see God's presence in his life. I'm going to help him to see the plan that God already has in place. God wasn't caught off guard. The servant might have thought so, but God wasn't. Elijah knew it, and Elijah pulled him out. I want to tell you today, if you are facing a fear perspective, something in your life that you are so filled with fear about, and you cannot, cannot get out of it, the problem might be that the people you're surrounding you with are all people with that same filter. If you speak to people that, that has no hope left for the country, and that is on your Facebook feed, and that is every bra you're at, and that's everything you speak about, guess what? There won't be hope left for you because your perspective determines your reality. If you keep speaking to people that comes out of broken marriages while your marriage is in a difficult spot, guess what? Your perspective will be that there's no hope for marriages because all of them have fallen apart. And your perspective will come, become your reality. So at the end of the day, you will give up. You will surrender to your enemy. We need people like Elisha in our, in our lives. We need people that's filled with hope. We need people who can see God. We need people who knows that there is hope because we serve a God of hope. Elisha looked at this man that was full of so much fear and he's like, dude, you're missing the point. Those with us are so much more than those with them. And then he does something amazing. He does the thing that, that I wouldn't have done. He used the most unlikely of solution. Instead of praying that God would kill this enemy army or that God would just blind them or that God would wipe them out, he prays this. He's like, God, open his eyes. You see, in that moment, what Elijah was doing, he was redirecting his servant's eyes away from the fear, away from the enemy, and he was refocusing him on God. We need people like that in our life who will help us to take our focus away from everything that's pressing against us so hard and realign our focus with God. Sometimes the best solution in life is the unlikely one. Sometimes the best solution in life is not to, to now seek a miracle the way you want it. Sometimes the best solution is not to keep talking about whatever is hopeless, but to refocus on God, to realign your focus on the hope we have in God. You won't see hope if you don't see God. It's as simple as that. Realign your focus. And I'm going to do something that I don't often do. I like to preach about one scripture and stick to that. But I'm going to help to realign your focus this morning. Is that okay? I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to read you. We don't have Elisha. We have each other. You need to be part of a healthy church. You need to be part of a community group. We're launching our community group. All of that will help you. But at the end of the day, we've got something better than Elisha. And that is the word of God. And it means you can take it with you everywhere you go. But if you don't know it, it won't be with you. And if you don't have some verses that you can place deep in your heart, anytime you see an enemy surrounded, surrounding you, fear would fill you. You would put on the fear perspective. Your fear will become, your perspective will become your reality. You will fail to see God and you will surrender to a reality that's not even real. So I'm going to give you some verses today and you can... 
take photos of this. You can write this down. You can afterwards, if you're missing this, you can go to our website. You can rewatch the sermon. You can listen to it. You can write it down. These are the kind of things that we need to write on our heart, that we need to memorize. These are the kind of verses that you put on your screen with sticky notes. These are the kind of verses when you see the enemy surrounding you, you're like, listen, let me tell you, enemy. Let me tell you what God I'm serving. Romans 8 verse 31 says this. Paul is talking about the present suffering. He's talking about life is tough. Our world is broken. People are turning away from God. And there's so much hopelessness. There's so much suffering around us. And then he says this in Romans 8.31. He says, what shall we say in response to these things? What shall we say about, about my relationships that's falling apart? What shall I say about my work? What shall I say about a country and this mess we are in? It's like, if God is for us, who can be against us? Everything might be against you. The whole world can turn against you. But it's like if God is for us, it doesn't matter. Because I serve a God that's not still conquering. I serve a God that already conquered on the cross. You see, He's already victorious. No matter what situation you're walking into, you are walking in as a son of the King that's already ruling. That's already conquered. It's like, I don't care what comes against me. And this is not a guy who had it easy. He was in ships that sank and he was whipped and he was lashed and he was put in prison. He's like, do you know what I tell the prison guards? Do you know what I tell the guys who beat me up? Do you know what I tell the storms? I tell them if my God is for me, who can be against me? Exodus 14, 14. This is Old Testament. But hear what, what God says to the Israelites. Moses tells this to the Israelites. He says, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Don't worry. Another translation says, just be silent. He's like, why are you freaking out? Why are you running up and down? Why are you lying up at night and like processing what you can do? He's like, realign your focus. You are not in this alone. You don't have to fight this alone. You don't have to do it on your own because God will fight for you. Just chill out. Realign your focus. Stay calm. But it's not that easy. Deuteronomy 24. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. Like, I, I know that. But then he says to give you victory. You see, God is not just going with you to fight. He's not just saying, like, sit in the corner. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in the boxing ring and we'll see who wins. God is going with you to give you a victory, to give you a victory in your marriage, to give you victory at work, to give you victory in the challenges you face, to give you as a victory as a church in South Africa. God is with us to give us victory. And you're like, Louis, what about Paul? Like, what about all the bad stuff that happened? It's like, my God is bigger and he was victorious. We are here today directly because of the work of Paul. That's a victory that outlasted him 2,000 years. God is going to give you victory. Isaiah 41 verse 10. Hear this. God says, do not be afraid for I am with you. You thought you're alone. You thought you're the only one in this crisis. You thought you can't do this on your own. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I'm your God. How can you be discouraged when you serve a God that loves you, when you serve a God that cares for you, when you serve a God that's the conqueror of all things, when you serve a God for whom the impossible is possible? And then he says this, the moment you feel weak, the moment you feel like you can't go on, the moment you feel like you're surrounded and there's no way out, he says, I will strengthen you and I will help you. 
I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I will not only help you, but the moment when your knees start to buckle under the weight, the moment you feel like you're pushing against this wall and, and you've, you've can't push anymore, you're going to collapse, that moment God says, I will, I will pick you up and I will hold you up. More, Isaiah 54 verse 17. No weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. No matter what the enemy plans for you, no matter what people Stands across your path, no matter what lies, no matter what they bring, it will not succeed. Every lie, everything that people rise up against you, it won't succeed. And then he says this, because these are the benefits enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. You don't have to be magical. You don't have to be special. You don't have to live a perfect life. If you follow God, this is just a benefit he gives you. It's like, I'm your father. You're my child. Guess what? No weapon will succeed. No enemy voice raised up against you will succeed. It will be silence because you are my child. You're a servant of me. That's a benefit. Their vindication will come from me. And then if you're likely, but, but what? It's like, I, the Lord, I've spoken. I've spoken, full stop. You don't argue with me about this. You don't try to plan out what you're going to do. I've spoken. You keep quiet now. And you trust me. Fight for you. The last one is 1 John 4 verse 4. But you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory. Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. No matter what you're facing, you're like, but I'm on the losing side. God's like, no, no, you're on the winning side. You're not even on the winning side. You're already living in victory. Because who can stand against me when God is for me? His spirit is greater than anything the world will ever throw at you. If you grew up in a family where people talked about ancestors, or if you grew up in a family where people talked about family curses, guess what? God is greater than that. If you grew up in a family with a lot of illness, or you grew up in a family with a lot of addiction, and you're like, what about me? God is greater than that. You're facing sin in your life and bondage you can't break with. God is greater than that. You're looking at South Africa and you're like, it's hopeless. God is greater than anything we face in this world. But we have to shift our focus from the things that fill us with fear to the one who fills us with hope. This is not a once-off thing. This is not here today and you're like, I'm going to shift my eyes onto Jesus. This is something you do every time. You walk out your room, you see the enemy, you choose to realign your focus on Jesus. You go back to these verses, you remember that no one can stand against you. You remember that you're already victorious. You remember that all of this is just a benefit because you're a child of God. have to get a new perspective. We have to take fear off and put the God perspective on. The servant took on the, put on the God perspective. Elijah prayed. His eyes was open. Looked over the enemy that surrounded them, the enemy that was their end, the enemy that couldn't be defeated. And after his eyes were open, he looked down on all the hills with chariots and horses. Not human chariots, not human horses, but flaming ones. Not a Lord of the, uh, Lord of the Rings scene. This, this is like God, flaming horses, the angel armies of God coming down to rescue them. 
You see, God is capable to do so much more than we can imagine. God is not just sending the, the king of Israel with his army. God is sending the armies of heaven to protect them. But do you know what? If you're here today and you're like, Louis, still man, I've got a plan and God is not coming through to me. Through for me, God doesn't always come through for us the way we think is the best way. You see, the best way for, for, for the servant and the best way for me would have been to say, God, send those flaming armies through this Aramean army and just destroy them, wipe them out. But God's plan was never to kill the Arameans. God's plan was to introduce himself to them because he introduced himself to Naaman that said, I'm going to worship God, but the rest of the kingdom didn't believe. God's plan was to introduce himself. God's plan was to show them who he was. So he struck him with blindness. God's plan was not just to wipe out one, a part of the king's army. God's plan was to bring peace. They struck them with blindness. They went to the king. The king wanted, the king of Israel wanted to kill them. Elisha's like, that's not God's plan. You have to feed them and send them back home. So he did that. He didn't make sense. But it led to a place, if you go and read the rest of the story, at the end of this chapter, it led to a place where they say the Arameans stopped attacking there was peace. God is not going to do it the way you want. He's not going to wipe out every enemy the way you think. He's got a better plan. He's got a plan for South Africa. He's got a plan to introduce himself to our community. He's got a plan to introduce himself to this country. He's got a plan to show people who he is. So whatever, whatever you're holding on to this morning, thinking this is the way God should do it, I want to tell you, let that go silent for a while. Stop telling God how to fix your problems. Be silent. Live with the reality that you're already living in victory. Trust God for it because God can bring about a permanent victory in a way you would have never thought of. So let's take off the fear perspective. We align our focus on God and remember if God is for you, He can be against you. God, you know how, how many things just like consume and fills our hearts with fear and hopelessness and anxiety and stress and depression and hopelessness. But I pray this morning that, that you would remove those filters. I pray this morning that as you opened the eyes of the servant, that you would open our eyes. That we would not just see the enemy that surrounds us. That we won't only see everything that makes it, fills us with fear. But that we would see the angel armies of God. The flaming chariots and horses surrounding us. I pray that our focus will be realigned. And that we would remember that if God is for us, no one can stand against us. I pray that you would engrave it on our heart that we're already living in victory. That no weapons forged against us will stand because we are the beneficiaries of God. May we go big in our faith. May we hold on to you even when it seems impossible. Because we know what seems impossible to us is possible for you. What seems like the end to us is only the beginning to you. Right in Jesus' name. Amen.